Podcast. The Gospel According to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. Looking forward to jumping back into the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew chapter 7. A very timely passage that was meant for last week, but in the providence of God, we are doing it this week now that we're back in our building and a timely message indeed. So let's go to the Lord and ask him for his grace. Now, Father God, we thank you that all things are under your sovereign control, and you are a good Father, God, and you have good plans for each and every one of us. You have ordained uh, this moment in time that we should be gathered together here to hear this word, so that your word, sharper than a two-edged sword and more powerful than anything we could imagine, to go deep down into our hearts, into our souls, to make necessary eternal changes, spiritual changes that will enhance and enrich our lives beyond measure. So we look to you toward that aim this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, it's been said that regarding communication, that context is everything and how true that is in order to fully understand a small piece or conversation or isolated remark, you have to have the whole bigger picture. The definition of context, of course, is the part of the discourse that surrounds a word or a passage that throws light on the meaning. So without the whole piece, and you just have a snippet of something, well, you can miss the whole point, or worse, arrive at a wrong conclusion, right? Let me give you an example. Two guys getting on a bus here in Santa Rosa, chatting away about something. They grab a seat. They sit right next to you, and the one lowers his voice as if he's confiding, and he says, so there I was, holding up the bank. I pulled out the gun, and I asked for the cash. She hands over the cash, and put it in the sack, and off I go. I got away, and I went out and bought a brand new car. The other guy goes, man, that's crazy. And now you're sitting there with that information. (laughs) You're you're like, should I call 911? Should I memorize this guy's face? What should I do? But you're missing the whole story. You're missing something that he said as they were getting on the bus, and That's when he turned to his friend and he said, man, I had the craziest dream last night. (laughs) That little piece changes everything. You know, I have another example that context makes all the difference of the world. A hotel gets 
an online review that goes something like this, and I've heard of this actually happening. The quote goes, fantastic hotel, if you don't mind dated rooms, hard mattresses, and bad service, signed John Stevenson. So the hotel PR team gets a hold of it and posts on the what people are seeing about us section, and here's what it looks like. A fantastic hotel, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Oh, yes. Well, you might want the part that said Fantastic Hotel if you like hard mattresses and terrible service, right? So you can't make sense out of a piece of something without the rest of the surrounding information. Thank you for that example. And sometimes... That happens with the Bible, of course, because we have favorite verses. We have promise boxes on our kitchen table sometimes that, that are all well and good. But the problem is that those promises and those isolated verses aren't always in context. And so uh, there is in some ways generalities and a wider application that, that doesn't do injury to the text uh, by, by quoting a single scripture, but it enhances the full comprehension of what was meant if you understand the full context. Let me give you an example, a couple uh, isolated scriptures. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The context of that is Paul was saying, you know what, sometimes I have money. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm uh, the, 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 the checking account is full. Sometimes I don't have two pennies to rub together. Sometimes the cupboards are full. Sometimes there's nothing in sight for days. But guess what? I've learned the secret of how to be content. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The context of saying that means that I am able through God's grace to be happy when the cupboards are full and my heart is full and the blessings are everywhere and when they're not. And so that's the context. Now, uh, how about Romans 8, 28? It's a fascinating one. I know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. The context of that, the good defined by God is that through this terrible trying ordeal, you can emerge more like Christ, more loving, more like Christ, as patient as Christ, as holy as Jesus. That's the context. So if you have a different definition of good, then you are going to, because you don't know the context, you can be disillusioned when the good that you were banking on doesn't come to pass because your version of good is different. But had you know the context, then you wouldn't have been disillusioned at all. Same with this beautiful text. It begins our passage this morning. It's probably the number one promise that's in every promise box and it tops every list. But the problem is it's a stumbling block to a lot of people and causes more harm than good if you don't know the context. But this morning, you're going to get the surrounding passage and you're going to understand what Jesus was truly promising and guaranteeing as we look at Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 7. Ask, and it'll be given you. 
Seek, and guess what? You will find. Knock, and that door is going to be open to you. For everyone who asks will receive. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Come on. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? If you then, and I love how Jesus just slips things in. If you then, though you are evil, know, <laughs> know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your perfect, morally perfect father in heaven how much more does he give good gifts to those who ask him? He continues on now. So in everything, back to his main point, because we're in a context, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the entire Old Testament. Verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. Now he's kind of wrapping things up and he's giving a summary statement for the whole Christian life. Enter through the narrow gate. Yes, it's wide, the gate, and broad, the road that leads to destruction. And many take that road, but small is the gate and tight and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. And so we are going to take a look at that paragraph uh, this morning, the screens can go blank as we get situated here in that paragraph. There are several concluding summary statements. He's been in a sermon for two and a half chapters. That was 12, and a, 12 weeks for us, 12 Sundays to study this sermon. And now he's kind of making his initial descent. He's getting ready to end the sermon. And so you can hear it in his tone. He's summing things up, kind of encouraging people to make personal applications. And, you know, the Sermon on the Mount has been called Christianity 101. Because in it, in this sermon, he's been telling us every single thing we know, uh, we need to know to live a a moral, God-pleasing life in our obligations to God and our obligations to one another. And when it turns out that heaven's values and priorities and standards are so very different from ours, but it's been a real treasure chest and the, to know the truth of what God thinks we should be doing and saying and believing because that sets our hearts free. But it's a daunting task because we're thinking, oh man, if only we could put all of these truths into practice, we would be blessed. So Jesus is now saying in this paragraph four quick things. He's saying in the first verses, seven and eight, keep praying for God's help because you guys can never do any of this without it. So you're going to have to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and it'll be given to you. And then secondly, he says in verses 9 through 11, and keep trusting God's heart. Because sometimes when life goes right, when you wanted it to go left, you can start to doubt God's love and his intentions toward you. So that's important. So he says, keep praying, keep trusting God's heart. And back to his point, keep loving others. Because when you love others, you're serving God well. He started this section by saying, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and your whole life will make sense and fall into place. And then the next breath was how you treat others. So treating others, loving them is the way we serve God. Well, 
And then finally, and we're not going to make it a point, but a PS, just the culmination of the Christian life that says, keep walking the straight and narrow path. I know the Christian life. Everything I've been telling you in the sermon he's, he's saying is really tight. It seems restrictive. I mean, it's a straight and tight path with denial of self in the sinful aspects and picking up a cross and following him along this narrow road. He says, trust me, it'll be worth the work. You'll be glad you escaped through the narrow tunnel because when you get out of it, you'll be in eternal paradise with God and it's the only road out. And so we're going to dive in now. And what I find very interesting is, is that the very thing that we want to do when we experience adversity or anxiety is we want to forego all four things. We want to stop praying because we're discouraged. We want to stop trusting God's heart because we've got an owie and somehow we're going to blame him for it. And, uh, and then we want to stop loving people because uh, when we're frustrated, we're under pressure. The last thing you want to do is be nice to somebody. You know, Mr. Grumpy Pants always appears when? He's frustrated, right? And so, and then walking the straight and narrow path. Come on, when life isn't turning out the way you expected it and you've got fears and stressors and pain, you want to swerve off that straight and narrow path. That's what happens. So it's a perfect text for people who have been through some tough times and tough times indeed this week. So we focus in on the first one when he says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And those verbs in the Greek are in the ing form. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on finding, and this huge promise here. And that's the thing, you know, really, honestly, when you just set your heart on something and then you get disappointed, you're not in the mood, most of us in our sinful nature, not in the mood to talk to God. So, I mean, last time, 2017, I was talking to a person, not from this church, very mature a leader in the church. And I said, well, all we can do at this point is pray. And that person said, why bother? He's going to do whatever he wants to do anyway with a little bit of bitterness. And that's a natural inclination to somebody who's been wounded. Wounded because we had bad thinking about what God was supposed to do, what God didn't do. And so now, therefore, we're kind of hurt and upset with him. And so why do we want to talk to him? But Jesus is going to say, in your adversity, I want you to keep asking. I want you to keep seeking. I want you to keep knocking because it's important. And so... When God repeats himself, like at this passage, threefold invitation, sixfold guarantee of what you, he will give you when you ask, seek, and knock. Take a look at this. I have it kind of laid out. Threefold invitation from the God who spoke and the universe leapt into existence. He's telling you, go ahead, ask, seek, keep on knocking. Because I'm going to give it to you, 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 give it to you. So now, 
this is important to know. What is it you're asking me to ask you for that you will 100% guarantee give me? Because there's a context. Because is it anything, any whim, anything I can just say, I'm going to ask and I'm going to receive because that's what the promise, if you wrench it out of the box and it has no context, you could be asking anything and you're supposed to receive it because that's your understanding without context. Let me show you the context. It has a context. It belongs to the, 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 the verses that precede it and the verses that come after it. And so the context is this. Jesus has just set a high and impossible standard, humanly speaking, for how humans are to behave. And he's been doing it for two and a half chapters, but this just happens to be one ethical exhortation where he says, stop being critical. Stop being a critical person. Stop always being a fault finder. Don't you realize that when you're like that, People are going to judge you with that same stingy measure of grace and that God himself will chastise you for that kind of behavior. And don't you realize what a hypocrite you are when you pick apart people and look down your nose at them and, and judge them in a wrong way of judging? Don't you understand that makes you look so silly, like a big log hanging out of your eye. He says, I want you to do something before you ever Raise a finger to anybody else. Hold up a mirror and examine your own heart and life and pull that big fat beam out of your head before you go about with your clipboard showing everybody else their problem. Now, he knows right on that breath, he says to discourage people who say, can a leopard change its spots? I was born this way. This is how I am. How am I ever going to pull a log out of my head? How am I ever going to stop picking people apart? I do it all the time. It's my hobby. <laughs> and Jesus says, oh, discouraged? Ask. Seek and knock. And I will help you 100%. You ask me to help to change your critical spirit? 100%. Bing! It's in your inbox. There. Delivered. 24-7, anytime you ask to become the person God has called you to be, you will be given that grace. And, and to change habits that are ingrained like that, take a little time. It's not like you can say, you know, some of these blessings over the meal. You know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, yay God. You know, and P.S., you, can you take the log out of my eye? Amen. He says, no, you're going to have to pray without ceasing. You're going to have to, in the heat of the battle, when you realize, oh, I'm being a hypocrite. Oh, that wasn't an honest thing to say. Oh, you know, I got my clipboard out. Check, check, check. I think I'm, the, oh, all, I'm thinking I'm all that right now. But God, I'm asking you. I'm renouncing. I'm aware of this. I'm seeking in the heat of the battle during the day outside your little one-hour would to God, one hour time in the morning with him. Because you keep seeking, you keep asking, you keep looking for that. Now, if that's the context, the context is I will give you the grace to become that which I'm commanding you to be. That's the context. So you could go ahead and pray that your house survived the fire in faith. 
There's nothing wrong with that. But you better give God the ability to answer you the way he wants, where he has not promised to save your house. What you could do is say, God, I claim this, and you will get this every single time. I pray that no matter what happens here, that you take away my fear, that your perfect love chase that worry away, that I will be an example and a role model to everybody about how I handle this, and that I will come out stronger and loving you more and having opportunities to, to share the gospel with people. Being 24-7, every single time, that is at your front door, more on time than FedEx, just right there. And the reason, as I said, he keeps saying, ask, keep at it, because these things take time for you to learn how to take the package, unwrap it, uh, and, and, and put it into practice, whatever that is, is because, you know, we'll say, well, I've been praying that God would make me patient, and I'm not. I just want to say, whose fault would that be? You know, it's in the inbox. Whether or not you have the courage, the humility, the desire to lay aside the old you and put on the new self, it's not. It's a user error whenever we come up short in a character quality that God says, you ask me. And good news here, folks, there's two and a half chapters of the impossible to do here. He's already said things like, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth. Well, who doesn't struggle with that? We all live for today and what we can see. How am I ever going to change? That's impossible. How can you ask me not to serve money? Everybody serves money, God. And he says, I know. The thing about this is, humanly speaking, the disciples said this to him. Well, I guess nobody's going to heaven, God, because your, your commands are too high. And he says, humanly speaking, this is impossible with man. But all things are possible with God, so keep seeking, keep striving, keep knocking, keep getting back up, keep opening your heart, keep renouncing, keep confessing, keep pleading, keep crying, keep reaching. And you'll become that person. I mean, when he says, listen, I want you to love those who are pain in the neck. I want you to love those who hurt you. I want you to be kind to ungrateful people. Uh, when they backhand you with an insult, I want you to compliment them. What? We can't do that. He goes, ask me, seek me, knock on the door, and I promise every single time I'll supply you with the grace. Peter learned this. He says, I know that if you ask me to do something and it's impossible, I'll do it. So when he sees Jesus walking on the water, <laughs> he says, that looks like fun. I would like to do that. And so he says, Lord, if that's you, and you tell me to, but he says this, if you command me to, then I'm getting on this boat, and I'll walk to you on the water, just like you're doing. And so Jesus likes it. He likes to be asked, seeking and knocking on his door. And he says, well, I'll, I'll, come on out here. And Peter 
He gets out of the boat and he walks on the water because he who commands is he who enables. How frustrating would it be for him to be telling you for three chapters, you got to do this, you got to jump this high, you got to be this kind of person because these are sons and daughters of God. What difference do you make compared to atheists? Atheists are nice people and they're nice to people who are nice to them. I expect you to be nice to people who are your enemies. Oh, God, I can't do that. Ask, seek, knock, and I'll change your heart. I'll give you the grace. You'll you'll see things differently. You'll be that spouse. You'll be that, that parent. You will be that Christian. Down deep inside of every Christian is the longing to be the person God created us to be without the plagues of moral flaws that ruin our lives and make stuff so hard. And he says, if only you would keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking, because I give it to you. I'll make you that way. I promise you. Now, instead of saying, God failed me. He said, ask me for this, and he didn't come through. Now we'll say, I asked for what he promised. Moral Christian transformation, 100% of the time. And you know what? Let's say that outside of that, God wants to hear from us. But there's always two caveats to conditions. It's always ask in my name and ask according to my will. So when we have the character of God and the purposes of God in line with our lives that we delight ourselves in the Lord, then he will give us the desires of our hearts. And so it's not like you can only count on Christian character being delivered as an absolute answer to prayer. No. He wants us to pray about, oh, I love this vacation. I would love to ride my bike to Mexico someday. That was a prayer of somebody you know. <laughs> and it got answered. Why? Because it was okay with him. And it's okay to pray these things. And what if he says, no, please give God the opportunity to answer in a kind and wiser and loving way to where you ask for a, you ask for a serpent. You ask for a scorpion. You think you're asking for a piece of bread, but God knows, oh, no, I cannot do that. No can do. That's a serpent. And thank God. Thank God. You know, we're going to get to heaven, and you're going to realize, whoa, Jesus, thank you for not answering that prayer that way, because you'll be able to understand that instead of a, a bread, you weren't asking for something poisonous and something terrible. And God, in his wisdom, because he's a good God, had the wisdom to save you from that. So keep it up. He says, keep connecting. Don't give up. Pray without ceasing. And when you keep at it, this success will be guaranteed. So the problem is when we get it all mixed up without the context. And so uh, the secondly, secondly, he says, now, which of you, 
If you have a child and they want a piece of bread, would give them something like a rock. If they ask for a fillet of fish, you're going to give them a snake sandwich? I don't think so. And then even though you guys, you fathers are sinners, you guys are, are morally flawed human beings. But you've got one thing going for you, the, the instinct to parent in a loving way. All things being equal, generally speaking, survived the fall. And that you, for the most part in this world, fathers love their kids and love to do their kids right. If you, now he's going to go from lesser to greater, if you, though you're morally flawed, can give good gifts and knows what, know, know how to treat their kids, how about me? I am not morally flawed. In God, there is no darkness. Jesus was sinless. He says, what are you guys thinking about me with these unworthy thoughts that I don't care, that I don't know where you are and how you're suffering, and that I'm allowing things that are terrible to go on in your life? So here we see a defense of God's character and his loving heart because he needs to because we like to blame him whenever things go awry. So we say, well, you know the devil's name means slanderer, right? Right? I'm looking at you. <laughs> it means slanderer. So he's the one who says to you, your sinful heart probably doesn't even need the prompt, but where was God in 2017? I didn't know the devil was a surfer, dude, but he turned out that, that, that where was God like, you know, man? Um, he's the one who says, if God was so loving, why didn't he or why does he and all of that? So we get disillusioned. So Jesus knows we go through that. So Jesus says, I need to remind you that God is a, a loving father who loves to give good gifts. Scorpions don't come from heaven. They come from earth where you guys created the environment for snakes and for scorpions. And so I think a right understanding of the theology of the fall will help us avoid blaming God for anything. I mean, that's what we do. The Israelites, and who can do this like a Jew? As a Jew, I'm speaking. All right. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter one, Moses reminding the, the Israelites, when you were under pressure, you grumbled in your tents and said, you know why this is happening to us? It's because the Lord hates us. He brought us out out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the bad guys, the Amorites, to kill us. That's really what we tend to do. We may, may not go so extreme, but we do this just like the Israelites, God speaking through Isaiah to his people. He says, why do you say, oh, my people, uh, that how can you say, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God. In other words, my God is blind to my troubles and ignores what's important to me. God says to them in first person through Isaiah, have you not heard? I mean, are you kidding me? I'm the God. I see, I, I control the whole earth. 
I know when a sparrow falls to the ground. I know how many hairs are on your head at any given moment. How can you, this is what God's saying, how could you think that of me? How is it possible that such a blasphemous idea would enter your head that I would lose track of you or do something to hurt you or have malevolent intent toward you? Yes, I understand life is hard. I've been on a cross. I know about, like, wow, I didn't necessarily want this to happen. Nevertheless, your will be done. And there I was. And so he says, think right thoughts about God and judge him this way, not by a fallen world, and, you know, when, when we fell, God looks at Adam and Eve and says, well, the earth is cursed because of you. And he looks at Eve and says, now your body is cursed because of you and what you did. But because I'm a good God, in the next breath, I will come into your bad, bad world where people do bad, bad things. But because I'm good, good father, I will come on, come in and I will become all of this sin, and I'll restore you. I'll make a way. It's a tight way. It's a narrow way. But I will make a way for you to come out and have life. So if you start thinking, man, the earth is cursed with its famines and earthquakes and tsunamis and droughts and pestilence and fires, that God has said... <laughs> I'm not sending these things, but I will walk you through them. The scorpion never comes from God's hand, but the remedy always does for the sting. And so one day, even though you're surrounded by a bad, bad world, you've got a good, good father with you. And one day he's taking you to a place where there is no such thing as bad, bad world. It's a world under his rule his reign, and nothing unclean enters that place. Nothing. Only what's righteous and pure and good. But that's not here. You guys listen to me. We are not in heaven yet. You cannot expect that Jesus exempts you from all suffering when he said, in this world you will suffer tribulation, but be of good cheer. I'm with you. I'm working through it. I'm comforting you. I'm giving you the wisdom to handle it. But please don't expect Jesus to pop in and wave his magic wand and exempt you from losing your house or losing your spouse or your child. It's going to happen. These things, losses and crosses happen. But he says, I'm with you in it. You do not have to fear. I'm taking you through this to a place where you'll never have to fear again. And so he says, just take a look at your own hearts. If you're capable of just coming through as a good dad and good mom, trust me, God is it. And I love what Luke's version is. And I'm sure Jesus said both of these things. He said, if you guys, even though you're sinful and flawed, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The good gift is more of himself. So he says, you're in trouble, you have a need, I'll lavish more of my love, more of my grace, more of my peace, more of my power, whatever you need. 
I got it. You're asking, seeking, knocking. It's yours every time. And so keep praying. You'll get the help you need. Keep trusting. You have a father who loves you and loves to give good gifts. And now stay the course. Back to the point. Let's finish up with uh, treating others the way we want to be treated. So look at this. It's like, where did this verse come from? Well, it's because it's part of the passage. He started talking about serving God well by treating others with kindness and biblical love. And so he says back on track here, that's what seeking God and pleasing God is all about is how you treat people. Just ask yourself if you want to evaluate how well you're doing as a Christian this morning, how are you treating people? then you'll know because that's how God is going to judge us, <laughs> how you treat people. That's a, uh, a, a surefire way of a reflection of what's going on in your heart. So here's the cliff notes of the entire Old Testament regarding our obligation to our fellow man, right? He says, I can sum it up in one thought. And if you nail the one thought, which we call the golden rule, you will cover hundreds and hundreds of do's and don'ts will all be swallowed up under the umbrella heading of love. Jesus said elsewhere, the greatest commandment are two, love God and love your neighbor, the one near you or others. He says, when you do that, you fulfill the entire Old Testament. So dozens of already mentioned ethical exhortations all fit under one thought. And it can be conversed too as well. Do not do anything to anybody that you wouldn't want experienced by yourself or somebody you love. And this is what he's talking about. So of course, the list, the, t the Ten Commandments, unnecessary. They're unnecessary if you treat people the way you want to be treated. Why would somebody have to say, oh, you must forgive those who offend you? Of course. Do you know the feeling when someone comes to you and says, hey, I need you to forgive me. I really wasn't thinking. I did a terrible thing. I hurt you in this way. I ask your forgiveness. Does that not set you free? When somebody comes to you and builds you up instead of picking you apart, or you find out, hey, somebody was really tearing you to shreds, and then John stood up and said, hey, wait a second here. Wait one second. I know John. John's a good man. This doesn't sound, let's just wait on this. When somebody sticks up, don't you love that guy already? Imagine if he did that for you. Well, that's the way God wants you to be. When you're in the circle and somebody's saying, nah, 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 you just say, hey, hey, hey. Because that's how you wanted somebody to stand up. Where was the person to stand up for me when I was getting uh, torn asunder? He says, if you live by that one rule, your life will be so much easier, you know? Affirming and building up and making amends with the, and overlooking these petty offenses and all that way. And would God really have to say, thou shalt not lie? How does it feel when somebody lies, both face, right to your face, lies? No, you, of course, if you live by the golden rule, you'll never lie. And are you going to lust while you're thinking, lust after some woman, gentlemen, 
And you're thinking, that could be my daughter. Would I want some guy lusting after my girl? You will never click again if you think that way. How do you want your husband to treat you? How do you want your wife to treat you? Do it. What don't you like? Don't do that. Jesus is so clear that way. No need to say, thou shalt not murder. Because who here would like to be murdered? No, nobody raised their hand for the record. So. Now, uh, before we move, close up here, one scholar had a, a really insightful quote here. He says, now, Jesus has in mind the best version of ourselves to ask. In other words, our sinful selves might actually wish to be indulged in bad behavior, but our higher selves want the truth that sets us free. Our lower selves may want others to turn a blind eye to our sin and say, that's the way I want to be treated. I want to just do something terrible and then everybody ignore it because that's how I want to be treated. So I'm quoting this verse here. And he says, oh, no, no, no. God's smarter than you. Um, <laughs> he says, our new natures actually would want to be corrected uh, even if that correction is difficult, corrected in a godly way would help. But uh, being accountable and making amends and being called on the carpet in some cases is, uh, brings maturity and blessing in life. And so the only thing the useful for the sinful nature is to, to put it to death, really. And so he says, it's always worthwhile to put the golden rule into practice. Your marriages will be healed. You'll create rich friendships. You'll promote peace in difficult people. You'll lower your blood pressure. You really will. It's such a simple rule. You'll reduce acid reflux, man. I mean, what am I going to do about this thing? You know, and you're laying in bed and you can't think it's all complicated. Jesus, why don't you just treat them the way you want to be treated? Whoa. Done. Sleepy time tea, boom. <laughs> and so, yes, so here's what he's saying. Oh, let's finish up just with a thought. He says, okay, by the way, I know what I'm asking in this sermon is really tight. It's really restricted, you know, but when you're the Lord's slave, you're free indeed, right? You're free from your old master's sin. And the world says, hey, I'm free, but they're really bound. They're slaves to sin. And with, when you're slaves to sin, death and judgment are right behind. And so he's saying, it'll be worth it to you. And maybe there are only few who find the narrow path because there's initial dislike for things that require discipline and telling ourselves no. But he says, this is a life that is worth Restricting yourself, denying your sinful self, picking up your cross, losing yourself, not finding yourself, losing yourself for my sake, you'll find who you really are. So he says, the straight and narrow path. And by the way, it's, of course it's easier in the world with no restrictions. It's easy to go downhill, 
right? We're called to go uphill. Not only are we called to go uphill, we're called to go up the escalator <laughs> that's coming down, right? Because that's the way this world is. But he says, when you finally get to the top, you're going to A, awake in my likeness. That which I started in you will be completed and you will be like Christ in perfection with a glorious body like his with paradise of God, with God himself dwelling in our midst, with his throne, with a crystal sea, all of that would be well worth the work, he's saying. So stay on that path. None of this swerving. And by the way, one swerve costs you everything. One swerve. I read something where some guy sneezed while he was driving, and, 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 and death came to multiple people because he swerved, just one little swerve. And you think just one little swerve. Don't swerve. He says, stay straight. Keep praying. You can't do it alone. Keep trusting. God's good. Keep loving others. It's what pleases God and brings blessing. And stay on the narrow path. It'll get you to life. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. It was timely for all of us who've been kind of crunched a little bit with our emotions and our anxieties kind of ruling the roost. We pray, God, that you would help us stay our minds on thee and enjoy your perfect peace. Now, God, as we consider communion table and your death on our behalf. Speak to our hearts again about this incredible love and our incredible assurance in you. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 